Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Voxology Podcast. My name is Mike Geer. I'm here with uh, Timothy John Stafford, J-O-H-N, which I learned cannot be expanded into any further name, as opposed this to J-O-N, true. which is great. short for Jonathan. That is um, correct. One of our mutual friends made the mistake of, um, of asking uh, Timothy John if John could be expanded, and it's the H that makes the difference. I yep. uh, um, just wanted to... H for halt. Yep, exactly. Yeah, there's nothing beyond that. So, ladies and gentlemen, we knew um, people were wondering about this. Timothy, how are you this week? Good. First week, first full week of school with the kiddos. So, Oof. you know, Oof. just feel like you're running around like an idiot all the time. Because you are. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's an accurate depiction. And then when are you teaching this fall? Yep, I start on Tuesday. What is your, like, what do you do to make the syllabus really pop? That first day, kids are bored. They yeah. think they know what's coming. You walk in. I don't in. talk about it. What? I wait till the second class. Boy, that'll do. What do you have them do first class? First class, we just kind of hang out and talk about, like, do different things to get to know each other and just answer weird questions and all that okay. kind of, like, just keep it super, super casual. Super wow. cash, as they say. Yeah. So, no syllabi. Yeah, I actually have my class set up so that I won't conflict with other classes. So I don't do I don't do a final, and oh. I almost give them the finals week off to not complicate their other finals because I don't understand making everything as stressful as possible for them. Yeah, you also can't get below a fifty percent even if you don't turn a paper in on a paper. And what you can revise them as many times as you want if you actually do the work. You can get an A even if you got a C in the first one. Where were you? I need you. It's all about you. learning. It's not about grades. I'm trying to help guys, these kids, create critical thinking and understand how to write a paper and not just earn an A. Wow. Well, Timothy John, that turned into a remarkably fruitful answer. <laughs> so, well, well that's done. What for, that's what I'm here for. Yes. Um, that's fantastic. So, that, so that's going to start for you. Yep. And uh, giddy up. Giddy up. Yes. We, um, we've got Nate. Big Nate is on, uh, the college, he's on his college campus playing, uh, playing soccer, which has been so amazing. They played the number two team in the country uh, last night. He played 30 minutes in an exhibition game, and so stoked on that. Um, and then uh, we started school down in Tennessee, and, you know, just as a plus of just sort of all the COVID craziness, Seth was there two days, got exposed to someone with COVID, so he's been home like 10. Yeah. So that's, that's great. That's going to be your new rhythm. Oh, my goodness. And, 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 you know, so he's upstairs. He hasn't realized we're recording yet, and I know there's a substantial <laughs> part of our audience now officially rooting that <laughs> Seth Theory will realize it and then come down and interrupt. And because um, what he does, and it's so funny, it doesn't. So he'll talk, and then he'll sit right behind me on the floor. Then he'll just stand up at random times and tickle me, and he won't say anything. He'll just stand over my shoulder and just tickle me. And um, <laughs> it is, it is, as I'm trying to focus on something, it is incredibly helpful. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see. We'll see if I keep it down. Maybe, we'll see. Maybe they'll never know. All Welcome right. to Voxology. Welcome to Voxology Podcast. Tim, 
hit the music. I'll play a soft version. Hey guys, we're back. <laughs> and I got to thank, I got to thank Cheryl and Amanda and Mike this week who joined our uh, Patreon tribe. I just want to say thank you so very much for that. We are a nonprofit crowdfunded operation and we are so very grateful that there's a whole community of people who have um, not only just support us by liking and rating and reviewing all of that stuff is super important and we're so grateful for it but also support us um through patreon and if you're interested in joining that tribe you can go to patreon.com and type in a voxology or mike erie and find out more about that we did have to i do run that little bumper at the end of the episode with all the information and somebody yeah. on instagram asked if i am high when i recorded it yeah it, and and I didn't see that you answered, so I think oh, no, this I did. is a I've, good... I have people been asking me if I'm high since high school, constantly. <laughs> me and Rick McKinley. Oh, my goodness. Oh, sweet Rick, that was hilarious. <laughs> um, that was like around episode 200, we had Rick on, and, and for the, like, the week after, all we got were questions <laughs> saying, hey, he seems great. Is he high? Um <laughs> So that's a question I don't get asked much for whatever reason. So Timothy, well done. And did you answer? Yeah, I said that's a question that I've been getting. Yeah, but that doesn't whole, answer. That doesn't answer the question. Oh, was I high when I recorded it? Yes. I was not. No. Okay, that's what yeah, I was. I think fishing. it was very late at night, though. I think I was down in the dark uh, in my office and recording. Uh, so I yeah. get it. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, you probably listened to like Depeche Mode. Yeah, and you were just, just in, in one of those. Just one of those moods, man. You had to prep. You know, you got to prep your mood for everything. And so Depeche Mode really gets you into the asking for, you know, yeah, par partners, financial partners. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy the silence. It was uh, my personal Jesus is the one I was thinking, but uh, <laughs> or your own personal Jesus. Um, all right. So we have a um, we have a Facebook like page. And then we have a Facebook, a smaller Facebook community that's for Patreon yeah. uh, supporters, correct? And what's the yeah. name of that one? That one's I'm sure called Voxology Community Group. We also have a Voxology Micro Community Group. Group, page. yes, yeah. yes. Uh, but the community group is active. They're yes. always chewing on stuff, and it's really interesting. We got a great question in there. Tim, if you want to start us off about... Uh, the conversations we've been having on the Bible, and then we'll kind of we'll kind of um, ride into the next topic today. Go ahead, bud. Yeah, this is a good question. I, and this is I feel like this question comes in 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 different forms. Yes, kind of asking the the same thing, and I've definitely asked this question a bunch too. He's um, talking about veils from our episode three hundred eight, which was with uh, Mister Jersak. If I yeah, remember correctly. So we read with veils, we kind of or lenses maybe is another word that we have certain yeah. culturally conditioned lenses, right? That we and we bring talked about whether or not God was putting veils on things, or whether or not we were uh, bringing veils to topics that make them difficult to see or approach. Yeah. Yep. Um, so anyway, uh, he has a couple things in there, but the 
main crux of it is I'm trying to grasp the concept and I think I understand about how on earth am I supposed to read any of the Bible and actually grasp truth if it is all written with varying veils? Like, how would I really come to know the character of God? I feel like I will just be questioning and second-guessing everything. And that's how we spelled it. Yeah, extra Gs, so everything. Mm. Yep. There's oh, more, okay. but you want me to okay, keep going? Okay, so you want to, well, whatever. Now, I've gone you, through the Bible college and learned all of the typical inerrant Bible teachings, but thanks to this podcast and some oh others boy. I follow, I'm realizing those who deem themselves all-knowing really aren't. Eh. Ha. <laughs> I guess I'm just confused. Did I miss something? Am I supposed to just read the Bible like I read books by sorting through what seems to fit in with God's actual character versus human preference? Ooh. How does one keep from just reading in what they've been taught or unintentionally reading in beliefs? Oh. The idea of veils makes sense. My brain is just mush from all these new to me ideas and topics. So if anybody wants to point me back to an episode I need to listen to again or just slap some sense into me, anything <laughs> would be appreciated. So oh. veils, what are you supposed to do with veils? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. All right. What a great and phenomenal question. And to some degree... This is what the next several weeks are going to be about. Ooh. Um, there, there are certain uh, postures that we have to take as we approach the text. And um, this very wise gentleman has already embraced the biggest one and the most important. Namely, that there are lenses. There is cultural conditioning on both sides of the uh of the text in other words and we're and this is where we're going to talk today right god god uses the culturally conditioned worldviews of people to communicate truth hmm. um and then we have cultural lenses on too and so the the the, the most appropriate posture uh when we approach the text <clears throat> is uh doing our best work to be humble and curious and um and to ask the all the questions so so we don't um and again i mean this this is why gombas and so many others emphasize patience this yeah. we don't have time for this unless you're a professional but what you can do is you can take the book of colossians and you can simply sit in that book a chapter a day and sit in there for six months yeah. or or the sermon on the mount and you'll get it you will get it absolutely that's the way the brain works um you may not get all the nuance and you may there may be some some context that is missed but by and large it's it's going to be pretty clear for you the problem comes when we think we know what it says uh before we approach it and so the first and most important step in the hermeneutical process is unlearning the text making it strange again Yoda. appreciating yes appreciating the distance between me and these words and there are all kinds of ways to do that um for for me it be it, it's it becomes natural now to kind of approach any text and not think i know what it's talking about <laughs> it is a good posture in life in general yeah i mean i i mean like for instance learning that the parables of Jesus aren't about my individual walk with God mm. or my individual salvation, but they're about the relationship between Israel and the kingdom 
or Israel's destiny as it faces judgment for rejecting Jesus and his way as, as Messiah and dealing with Rome. I mean, you just like, oh my goodness, when I approach those things, um, I'm immediately confronted with, oh, I always thought it was this. Now I'm curious to see how this fleshes out in this new way. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean we're on a constant quest for, not for novelty. And just because an interpretation is due, new doesn't mean that it's right or helpful or faithful. Hmm. But, but there is a grounding that begins exactly where this wonderfully frustrated person is with, okay, well, how do you, how do you get there? If my lenses are things like militarism, nationalism, consumerism, individualism, the biggest place to start is realizing I've got lenses and then letting the text begin to confront those. Yeah. And that's why when you, when, you, when you study it, we don't take it in five-minute devotional chunks. We sit and we marinate. And then when you do, if you do get a chance to read, you read very widely. You don't just read one narrow stream of thought right. about the text, but you read from different points of view, from different places in the world, from different centuries. And you begin to see the text as this sort of diamond where there are readings that are more faithful than other readings for sure. Yeah. But just because you've settled in one particular reading, um, you, you don't um, ever then um, think that, well, that's the only way this can be read. So you yeah. approach it, you know, fresh again. So do you think this is a pretty modern phenomenon? And I mean, modern in, you know, a couple hundred years or so, the way that we, because those lenses that you just listed, I would say that probably you know, the gentleman that asked this question and most of us would not claim that those are, those are lenses that we look through or like that we chose, but though, you know, obviously yeah. we've inherited a lot of these lenses and you talk to people about like holding, you have to hold a lot of things really loose in order to learn how to do it correctly. Right. Right. So that's the Yoda thing, right? You have to unlearn yes. what you have learned if you want to do this right. That's right. Um, but I think so the, we want so so can, let me just interject for a second yeah. i'm so sorry because that was so good tim we want to let the bible be strange yes we want to take the project of the last 50 years of harmonizing synthesizing you know making it a beautiful picture that perfectly and totally aligns like literally as, like the what was the little kid bible that we all had when we were kids oh With like I, the really doe-eyed um, yes yes I don't remember what it was called, but yes, the, this sort of the the the, uh, the perfect fall from the sky golden yeah. tablet kind of Bible, and we need to just we need to mess that up. It's like it's like finishing a puzzle. This is a metaphor, of course, but it's like finishing a puzzle and then realizing, oh, there are more pieces. Yeah, you know, even though the puzzle you thought fit together. Or it's you like realize. a three-dimensional puzzle that you like. You finish the one-dimensional top picture of it, and you're like, "I did it!" And it's like, "Yeah, well, no." <laughs> right, right. And so this is part of discipleship. This, this is it, and this is the good news. This, I, I'm leaning less and less away, or I'm leaning more and more away from kind of deconstructing, decolonizing language, and more and more into just discipleship. This is what it means to be an apprentice to Jesus, and it's not an intellectual exercise what we're doing here is we're looking around at human life and we're realizing the puzzle and clarity that we were handed doesn't map the complexities of human life and it never did that's the beautiful yeah. thing about the bible the bible is as messy as life is that's a great point 
so we have to we have to remess it up so that we can receive it as it comes to us not as we want it yeah if i think about how complicated just my brain is or just how complicated i am as a like inside out individual to want a text that is completely one dimensional to map how messy i am right it just doesn't it just doesn't totally totally so this is such a great point and the answer from from modernism has been engage in the right scientific process right so so hermeneutics and exegesis you'll be told are the art and science of interpreting scripture so here's the process and if you follow the process like ikea furniture you'll (laughs) usually get this result um, and the, the problem, I mean, there's so many problems with that, but I had to unlearn that. Yeah. I had to unlearn that. There are parts of it that are absolutely true and right. And my view of the Bible has never been higher. My trust in the Bible has never been higher. And my view of the authority of the Bible has never been higher. Uh-oh. But you had to, you had to take that clean puzzle piece and realize, oh, there are all these pieces out there that didn't quite fit. You mess that up again, and then you start... You st- you center the person of Jesus, yeah, and then you begin to build out from there. Greg Boyd had this great analogy in his book Inspired Imperfection, and um, he not everyone's going to know this reference, so I'll take a moment to explain it. But the third Indiana Jones movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Indy is on a quest for the Holy Grail. His father was looking for the Holy Grail, been a lifelong obsession. He finds his father captured by the Nazis and they are racing the Nazis to the Holy Grail. They find it at the very end of the movie, but fortunately they're in the um, the grips of the, the kind of Nazi scientists and leadership that have been kind of leading the charge and racing against them. And so they all find it together and, and it's this, you know, it's, very dramatic and i love it i love it i love it. i love it how how they sort of their three tests he has to pass and they get into this room with all these different cups yeah and um there's this aged knight that's sitting there saying okay well the if you drink from this cup you'll live forever but if you guess wrong if you guess the wrong cup you'll die instantly yeah so kind of a big deal and they're probably i don't know 20 or 30 cups and chalices sitting around and so the bad guy comes in and, you know, uh, w- along with this other sort of evil person, they, they, um, they pick a cup that is ornate and that is beautiful and wonderful. And a cup, he says, that's fit for a king. Yeah. And um, he takes that cup and, and drinks and then dies instantly. And what does the it, knight say? Yeah. You have chosen He poorly. chose poorly. <laughs> And then Indy is sitting there just working out saying, well, he's a carpenter. He would have been humble. And so he chooses among them the most humble cup yeah. uh, and drinks and lives. And Boyd says he takes that image and applies it to the Bible we want. So he's like, if you were in, mm. put yourself in that room with that aged knight, and there were 20 or 30 different Bibles like different versions and different ways, like entirely fresh ways of being a Bible. Yeah. And one of those Bibles was airbrushed 
perfection. Everything made sense. Everything was clear. There were no questions. There was no room for doubt. Um, everything just was perfectly airtight, hermeneutically sealed, right? Um, and delivered with perfect clarity. How many of us would have chosen that Bible as the Bible we think most befitting God, yeah. as opposed to the humble, ordinary, messy Bible that we got? And, you know, Boyd goes on to riff on that, but I thought that was such a, a great picture of we're not unlearning to, to destroy. We're unlearning um, in order to humble ourselves before the text and 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 um, approach it as it is given to us, not yeah. as we want it. To see it for what it is, not for yes. Yeah, what we yes. think it should be. So our biggest point from last week is that it, this is the product of human and divine agency. This mm -hmm. is a partnership. And, and that that is congruent with every other thing that God does in the Bible. Yeah. Right? So God creates and then creates image bearers. And he gives those image bearers real power to name the animals is the example used in early in the text, right? God could have named them, but the, you know, in, in the text even says, God let the man name them to see what he would name them. Uh, <laughs> and you're I like, love. well, okay. So, so evidently God wants partnership. And then the coming of Jesus, of course, is the perfect melding of human and divine. So it's not shocking that the Bible falls straight in to that sort of partnership covenant mode, right? And that, the big idea we wanted to beat up on last episode is that it, to say that God doesn't is not to say that humans weren't involved. Mm. And to say that humans have done it is not to say that God wasn't involved. Yeah, And we see that all throughout. I mean, literally, the, the Israelites, they're, they're rescued, uh, but they always have to do something to embrace that rescue. Even Passover, they had to anoint the doors. Even the Red Sea, they had to sit. They had to be still and be a, uh, and to be still, and then to wait for God to deliver them, and then to walk through the dry land through the river. Uh, Moses having to you know hold up his hands, um, like we talked about last week, right? And the battle would go well. I mean, there's always something. There's always some partnership happening, and so what's well, that's a sign of a good teacher. Absolutely. Like if a disciple is a lifelong student, good teaching involves the student in the process so that the student can right. make that learning their own and, and make it tangible and interact with it. So how people learn in general. And really, so you look back through all those examples you just gave, it's literally involving each person in the learning process in some way that they take a little bit of ownership from what they're doing. That's right. It's pretty smart. Yes, it's almost it's almost like Jesus was a rabbi, almost. And, and no, that's such a good point. And um, and so here's the track we are running on, um, because the Bible uh, is the product of divine agency. We use words like inspired and authoritative, because the Bible is the product of human agency, we use words like accommodation, context, uh, and literary analysis. All right. So that to the point we made last week, this is a human and divine partnership is the most important point to be made about the Bible because everything else, at least the way I think about it. And again, you know, who am I? There are much smarter people out there, but, um, 
everything flows from that partnership. Yeah. So because, because these aren't just, these have revelatory content, these words. Um, it's not just, hey, Paul, this is how Paul experienced the divine and you'll experience the divine differently and blah, 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 blah. That's not what Paul's saying. Now, you know, if you believe that, fine, but that's not what Paul is saying about his words, right? He's saying, no, no, I received what I, uh, for what I passed on to you, I received it. Like there, yeah. this is an inherited thing. This is not just something we're kind of making up as we go. But at the same, and, and this is where we're going to get, we're going to mess up the puzzle uh, oh. a little bit today. Um, <laughs> because it's human, um, God does all kinds of accommodating of himself to the humans. And um, the word accommodation can obviously mean house or place to stay or something. But we're using it in the sense of adjusting or adapting to something. So, so um if I accommodate Seth uh, and his desires for things, that means I'm attentive to them and I pay attention to them and I adjust my agenda around them. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's why we've had Chick-fil-A every day for lunch. Because um, <laughs> <clears throat> I'm accommodating. Um, so, so God seems to be perfectly willing to accommodate um the these human persons in the same way that he accommodated whatever the human named the animals yeah. that god uh, accommodates them in a couple of different ways um and this uh, and again if you've been with us for any length of time this isn't new so i'm not going to spend a ton of time on this episode just sort of belaboring the point but it's a very important point because it's different than saying god is uh progressively revealing himself Right. I think I think that there's truth in that for sure, but accommodation is something a little different. So, God accommodates to the humans that He is inspiring. Um, so when, like we looked at last week, when God says to uh, Joshua, "Hey, write this down," um, at least there's nothing in the text that says, and then God handed him a you know a, a notepad and said, "All right, I've already I've already done that for you." Right. So Joshua is going to write that down as Joshua, you know, or Moses is going to write it down as Moses or Paul's yeah. going to write letters as Paul. Yeah. So there are two forms of accommodation. There are probably more and there are people way more sophisticated that talk about this stuff. Um, one form of accommodation is just to the ancient worldview of the ancient Near East um, that God, God allows people to tell his story from their culturally conditioned point of view yeah and i mean how cool is that yeah right because because we do the same thing um you know however many thousands of years later so god lets people tell his story from their culturally conditioned point of view and and one of the really liberating things is to realize that so much of what is happening in um the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, is in concert with other cultures yeah. and the writings of other ancient Near Eastern societies. And so you realize, oh, there are other six-day creation stories and there are other flood stories. There are other conquest narratives. There, there are other examples of Old Testament laws. In fact, there are some Old Testament laws that seem taken from the code of Hammurabi, which hmm. is much older. 
um, all the all the groups in that area would have had temples, priests, prophets, and sacrificial systems. And so Israel is in dialogue, in subversive dialogue with all of this. Um, Mackey uses the, the idea of like there's an ancient Twitter feed that Israel is engaging in. And they're, and they're using those motifs and pictures um, to argue for the supremacy of Yahweh. And, and that, that's, you know, I can see where people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought the Bible was golden tablet, utterly unique and everything. Right. But then you're like, well, no. I mean, he wrote, he used and inspired ancient people and accommodated their ancient worldview. So when, you, when you're looking at like Genesis or Job or some of the Psalms, I mean, it was thought that there was a dome that separated the waters above from the waters below called the firmament. And, um, and so there's literally a dome, a dome that, that, that holds back water. And that's why the sky is blue is because it's water. Yeah. And there's water below us. In fact, the earth and the firmament are resting on, on pillars. And so the water surrounds us and the water isn't H2O. The water is this menacing, chaotic force that has to be subdued by Yahweh and that there are windows and floodgates that are in the sky that can be opened to allow rain so that God can water the earth. Now it's the, it's the Truman show <laughs> in a small way. Yes. And God is Ed Harris. And so oh, of course he is. If Ed Harris were Palestinian and um, you know, anyway, so, so what do we do with that? Is God saying, hey, this is the accurate way to look at the universe? Um, obviously not. <laughs> but if he were, if God were, and this is where we're, man, we, we bleed into genre here, you yeah, know, and oh my totally. goodness, because if God were giving us science, like this is how the universe is, yeah. we'd all be in trouble. But what he's doing instead is inspiring this kind of mythic, narrative and it's almost it's got rhythms and it's almost poetic in some ways um to capture something about the world and the supremacy of yahweh and um what's true about that is what it's revealing to us about yahweh hmm. um what's not true about that is the way it was conditioned by the culture of the day so, so you know, that's a big distinction right there that you just said right the difference between what it reveals about yahweh versus what it says about Yahweh. Yes. And how, we, and the mode have, and the mode of it saying. saying like in the like matter of factness of everything, not right. in the revelation of things. Right. Right. Now this is so important, all right? Let's let's jump to that for a second, Tim. What a great what a great segue. Um, cuz what we often do is we put upon the ancient text what we expect from literature, our modern expectations of what history or poetry or prophecy would be like. Yeah. So, so one of the ways you unlearn the text is by you, you, you learn all the ways you're foisting your expectations of the text. Yeah. So, so when we, when, when the ancient history claims to be history, there's a different, there's a different level of accuracy than what we would have in, in our you know, journalistic age. Um, and so a great example that Mackey uses, 
there's a difference between true and factual. Mm. And, um, and so I can, and this is, this is from Tim, and it's a great, great answer to this question. Uh, so I'll just speak as him. Um, I, I, you know, he's, yeah, he's so great. Um, if I tell my story about how my wife and I met, there are a bunch of different ways to tell that story, all of which are true. Right. But depending on where I am, how much time I have, who I'm talking to in the context for the conversation, I might tell it in half an hour. I might tell it in five minutes. Yeah. Right. I'll edit it. I'll emphasize some points and not others. Yeah. Is it factual in all of those tellings? Well, not technically because there's a whole lot I left out. Yeah. But is it true in all of those tellings? Yes, absolutely. This is how we met. And so because there is a human uh, part to the scripture, there's, there, are, there are copyists and editors and you know, gatherers of the text and streamliners. And sometimes we get to see the, the footprints of those people, right? Um, in the manuscript sort of um, evidentiary, uh, evi uh, uh, evidence and the trail that that evidence has left. We get to yeah. see the, the fingerprints. Well, a scribe marked this thing different here and you know, blah, blah, blah. That does not at all mean that what's happening isn't true. Right. So now you can take this way too far, this idea that I'm suggesting and say, like with Pete ends, okay, so um, some of the stuff in the Old Testament is true, but in sort of a principle kind of way, like, like the, like the um, uh, what would be an example he would use? Like the Exodus, um, it wasn't factual. Um, like it didn't happen in the Red Sea way. And we don't have any record of the presence of Israel among the Egyptians. Um, but it's true in the sense that God somehow redeemed his people. And that was the vehicle they used to describe that redemption. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying... No, I'm telling versions of the true story, but I edit those versions and condense and, and expand and emphasize one thing or another, depending on all sorts of factors all the time. Yeah. But the kernel of the story turns out to be true. Now, and that of course raises all the lens questions. Yes. So the lens on our side are things like individualism, Western you know, democratic values, I mean, all of that. The lenses on their side are things like ancient cosmology, right? How, how covenants and kings and treaties all worked, how, how nations recorded victories over other nations, mm -hmm. right? So there are lenses there too. But um, the, the modern emphasis on the only thing that can be true are the things that are factual, right. that isn't that isn't something that the, the scripture is bringing to us. That's something we're bringing to it. Right. Now, I happen to think that there was some Red Sea crossing and some Exodus and some whatever. Um, but I think those things because of how Jesus approached and saw the Old Testament, not because I'm looking around saying, oh, gee, well, you know, this seems like this is true on, on the face of it. I'm coming yeah. at it from a Jesus point of view. Now, I know that's a horribly complicated answer. And and, and it's stuff I'm still, uh, qu quite frankly, I'm still working out. Like, But it that's, would be... kind of, that's a piece of the puzzle itself, what you just said. Like the, 
uh, wrestling with this from now until then, like that's part of, I feel like that at each conversation we have about the Bible, that seems to be something that is continually revealed that this is something that is to be wrestled with. Yes. And it's not to be just un, like completely understood and completely grasped. It's something that you have to continually engage with, which in my brain makes sense for with how, just how my my brain in particular works. Something that I have to continually be learning from because it, it yes. it's organic in that way. Right. Like it's a an, like a so that that makes sense to me. Like I I can I need that and that feels bigger and that feels you know, like something that could perhaps be divine. Right. Because Harry Potter, I can read so many times, and at some point I'm going to have love that, it. I'm going to have it pretty mapped out. I love <laughs> it. Um, well, some would say that's inspired too, so I, I don't, you know. No, I would say, I would say that's absolutely right. I would say that um, this is kind of what Boyd's getting at with his Indiana Jones example. Yeah. And again, what's the Bible for? What is it for? Right. Not what it is. Not not what is the Bible, but what's it for? Yeah. Is the most important question. And whatever it's for, we'll get to some suggestions in future episodes. But whatever it's for, it's for relational covenanting hmm. above all else. And that covenanting is partnership. Now, so, so whatever the Bible is for, it's for humans to carry and wrestle because the humans have been carrying and wrestling from our very first moments of breath on the earth, right? Yeah. That was our whole job. So uh, I, that is to me, that is to me the biggest takeaway um, is that God gave us something that doesn't let us sit back and say, oh, okay, God did it all. Yeah, totally. Um, it, it, it provokes us in the same way. I mean, think about the first humans, okay? So let's, say, let's take that story and say, okay, that's factual. Yeah. There was literally, there were, there were a bunch of humans outside of the garden, but there were two inside. Yeah. And then God said, here's, here's what I want you to do, all right? This is just fill the earth, okay? Fill it. And then subdue what's outside of it, Okay? Now, how long will it take for the humans to, to do that? I mean, that, that's generations of life, right? I mean, that's, but think about, think about the instruction he gave was meant to provoke them hmm. into a certain pattern of life yeah. that was congruent with why Yahweh created them, right? Yeah. yeah. So the Bible to me is that as a whole, it's that sort of provocative thing. It, it provokes action and agency, reflection and thought because um, this is what God's been after the whole time. Right. right? That's, your just, new, that's locking in the new creation, right? The vocation. Exactly. Exactly. So what we're doing is we're picking up again in Jesus now, the original vocation given to Adam and to Eve to Israel. Yeah. And now it's new creation in the midst of old creation. So that presents a whole new set of problems. But that's why the New Testament is so dadgum. Well, the whole Bible is so dadgum messy. Because now we're dealing with less than ideal situations <laughs> under which God is working, right? Suboptimal. 
suboptimal yes suboptimal lens that's it so i mean this to, to me this makes total sense particularly as i raise my children yeah because what i could do is i could give them law do this don't do this for every situation i can dream up yeah and then measure them as to whether or not they obey right what, in, what I do instead, because I desire for them to be mature, <laughs> is I try to give them wisdom. Yeah. And whatever small amount of laws, are, those laws are meant to be provocative. Yeah. So that in the moment, as they're making choices, wisdom is generated when I look at a circumstance I've never encountered and don't have a rule for, but I have this sort of grounding of a, of a central set of values you know, that, that I filter circumstances through and come up with decisions, right? Yeah, yeah. So even the laws I give my children are meant to be provocative. Totally. You know, now, now we can obviously do that wrongly as parents and just say, okay, don't have sex. Right. Instead of saying, I want you to have a healthy relationship with sexuality. Yeah. Right? Now, that's a whole different way of talking about it. So Absolutely. like drinking. So my kids, I mean, I will just say, I want you to have a healthy relationship with alcohol. So we, we will drink in front of them. We will allow yeah. them to taste anything. They've told us about time, times they have drank, and we've not jumped on them for it. Yeah. And um, because the goal is to provoke, right? So, so I will just ask, hey, so-and-so, was this, a, was, this, was this an expression of a healthy relationship? Yeah. And, and that brings you into peer pressure and did I do it to fit in and did I feel pressure to do it and would, did I, was I just curious about it? And, you know, I mean, all those great questions. Yeah. So the whole freaking Bible just provokes us, right? Love God and love neighbor. Okay, when's that stop? <laughs> when, when at, at, what, at what circumstance do I no longer have to think about what that means anymore? Right. No, I'm constantly driven to faith and I'm constantly driven to, th to thought, prayer, and community, right? Yeah, it's, it's, that's really interesting because it is a, I've been watching, um, I finished uh, Outer Banks, by the way. <clears throat> OBX. Yeah. Um, Pogues I, for life. Pogues for life. I was watching um, on the plane back and forth last week, and I was I like downloaded a bunch of the Bear Grylls show where he takes the celebrities out into the yes, wild. Yes, 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 yes. And I, I don't know what it is, but he's like weirdly calming for me to watch. Something about the way Bear Grylls like talks and interacts with people and stuff is very calming. Yeah. But like one of the episodes, he takes Channing Tatum out for the second time. Yeah, and he's explaining I how he's like, yeah, you know, I I've taken Channing up before, and he's a champ. Like he did really well. But this time I really want to teach him. Yeah. The first time was like kind of uh, like showing, bringing up these scenarios and then kind of just telling him how you would get through this. But now I want him to like use his hands and stuff because I want him to learn this. And it was a really interesting way of like you, you see Chan and he even quizzes him later and asks him, you know, the, the hows and the whys based on what he was digging his hands into. And you're like Channing Tatum was processing in real time and then like giving the reasons why things were the way mm -hmm. that they were doing them because mm -hmm. of the fact that he had gotten his hands into the dirt and yeah. bear was making him do everything yeah and at the end like channing tatum's like almost in tears and they're i mean they have these great conversations about parenting and 
all these different things, these trials of life that don't, they're always unexpected and they're always, um, you know, difficult and they never stop. It's like they're unexpected right. and they're, they're, they happen forever. Right. But it's right. like learning the critical thinking, the wisdom skills that it takes. And that's usually getting your hands dirty in the process of learning it. Totally. Is what it, like gets you ready yes. for all of that. Yes. And failure has to happen. It's key for you to learn wisdom. Yeah. That is an indispensable component. So why do we have the Bible that we have of all the Bibles we could have chosen in that room? Why right. did God go? I want you to have this thing. Right. And the answer can only be because it produces the kind of covenantal relationship and partnership that God intended as we fulfill our original vocation. Yeah. And so then you say, okay, so what is this provoking? You know, what is this, what is this generating? And we see all the awfulness of the human heart in it, but we also see so much of the beauty of yeah. the human heart in it. Yeah. I mean, it just, and that's why I have so much confidence um, uh, in it isn't because it's perfect and it all matches up. It's precisely because it doesn't. And the way that it doesn't is so fascinating to me. Hmm. It's like the Bible doesn't seek to polish itself up. It's, it's like no one was sitting there. Now, there are instances like in Chronicles where Chronicles will clean up kings for instance. Mm. So, you know, pre-exile, here's the story of David. Post-exile, we'll clean that up a little bit. You know what I mean? Like originally, <laughs> originally it was David who called the census that killed everybody, but then, no, no, we're going to actually say it was Satan that, that did that. Right. There are instances where that happens, no question. But the fact that we can see when it does <laughs> shows you that those are the exceptions rather than the norm. And so what the Bible does is it just sits there in all of its glory. Like the gospel writers evidently weren't, weren't like dismayed from the fact that, well, how many, how many angels were at the tomb exactly? And where were, they, where, where were they seated? Like there was no big urge to sort of, you okay? Yeah, there's something really loud happening and I, I'm not sure what it is. All right, so, <laughs> so we've, we've done... I can't believe it. It's 54 minutes. We've done one paragraph of my notes. Dang it. Thanks to you. Yeah. No. No, well, it's I, so good. Well, I had this conversation with my father the other day. Ooh. I was listening. I, maybe I mentioned this before. I can't remember. I was listening to um, a series that Mackie was doing on like divine um, wisdom and like, or lady wisdom and like these divine mm, entities and stuff. It was Proverbs. Just, yep so fascinating yeah yeah. just a really interesting conversation and um uh and i uh, my dad came in and uh he was just like what is this <laughs> he's asking questions about the podcast and uh and i was just like well i was trying to explain to him different pieces of what the conversation was about with interpretation and um and so you know noah's ark always becomes the easiest yeah example of that and you you were kind of touching on some of the stuff with genesis like with uh Adam and Eve and whatever. And we've had that conversation before, like whether or not, you know, I was in college when I was taking a mythology course and started talking about the Epic of Gilgamesh. Yeah. And that was the first time. And she wasn't saying anything about the flood narrative, but just, I was like, oh, this is interesting that this is in here and it, it serves a little bit of a different purpose or it tells a different story, but it predates the Bible and the biblical. So it's just like weird. That was the first time I was like, oh, this is, this, 
in some ways complicates things or or contextualizes or broadens the conversation but it's like if if the if the narrative of the arc is not literal and is in fact being used for a different purpose to wouldn't you want to know so this is this is the conversation I have with my dad about how you hold inherited belief systems or context or um, what you've been handed mm-hmm. he's just like hey, it's god's promise that that is yeah but if it's if they're trying to tell you that in a different way would you not want to know what it is that god is actually trying to articulate to you or do you just want that like if you found out that that one dimensional version and i mean one dimensional and just that it's just like this is the story right. Noah got animals two by two and put them on a big boat right would you not want to know if there was something more to that right because right. you say that this right. is how god is speaking to you you, t- you just told me that the bible yeah. is how god speaks to us my dad is the one that just told me that yeah I was like, if you, if, so if this is God speaking to you, would you not want to know what he's actually trying to say? <laughs> right? Like then yeah. that would be the, so yeah. this holding loosely and trying to really wrestle with, and you keep talking about covenants too. And it made me think that so much of what the Sermon on the Mount is, is how we build community and covenants with each other too. So there's a, that, totally. like totally. that idea of covenant and community, God is just it's just a, this ro- like it's just a snowball going down a hill of trying to build what and understand and continue to roll yeah. that together. But yeah. you want to understand it in the right, right? I mean, absolutely. Would, I keep so I, I, there's everything you're saying. Obviously, opens up about fifteen questions each on different right. topics. And, w- of, and we're going to answer this question. Yeah. What separates faithful readings of the text from unfaithful readings of the text? Mm. If it's not just a mechanical, right. you know like ikea set of instructions yeah so we're going there absolutely i can't believe no one has made an ikea bible yet i can't believe ikea hasn't made an ikea bible yet (laughs) i um so so yeah i mean literally we just went an hour and we got to one paragraph and that was (laughs) how the bible accommodates ancient near eastern cosmology well i mean how long was the sermon on the mount series on the initial conception oh like eight weeks yeah, and it went like nineteen. So yeah, yeah, and this seems, this seems um, like a lot of people are living in this space a ton, and I, and that's the thing, man. I want, I I want to take all the insights um, from l- literary scholarship, from the postmodern turn in our culture, from all the deconstructors. Um, and and sort of just say, yeah, some of those, a lot of those are absolutely right. Totally. But they only are bothersome if you expect the Bible to be something that it's not. Yeah, or they're like one piece of that. Yeah, it's I just... just like, we were having this conversation last night at a meeting about um, why the Bible is so difficult to read. And again, I think I've said this in the last few episodes, the Enneagram has become crucial for me understanding how different mm. people's brains operate because mm-hmm. the way that I receive and process and then apply information it's my, satanic like, but okay that's fine yeah. as long my as wife awful. doesn't even I mean we're wired so differently that we have to have very intentional conversations about things because we interpret information totally different right and some of yeah. that is lenses and some of that is upbringing but a, a lot of that is just how our brains work and so you know if if it's what I'm trying to get at is the it's like the some of the questions 
they're not wrong, but they're being asked incorrectly. <laughs> Where it yeah. would be like, if you like, why is the Bible so hard to um, approach or understand, or why did God make it so difficult? If He wants me to do something, why did He not just say? But that's not quite the right question because you're not going to get the right answer. You're not going to get an answer that suffices with that version of the question. Right. Totally. So I think that's the like the takeaway or the encouragement I would hope would be as you get into a series like this and you're listening, can you hold things loose enough to to understand how to reframe the question? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um yeah, reframe the question. Um, and, and you don't, to wrestle with this, you don't have to necessarily throw the whole thing out. That's the, yes. that's the big point is, I don't, <laughs> I actually think the flat golden tablets view is a lower view of the Bible. And 100%. I want to take it, I want to take the Bible so seriously yeah. that I'm willing to listen to what it's saying, even when it's like, I don't get that. I yeah. don't get that. Um, and, and because God has created a universe where humans have so much say so, it just makes sense that, um, that the Bible that would result of a partnership between human and divine would, would look like this and provoke you know, all of the questions of faith and wrestling and, and, um, and then the last thing is the Bible is really clear on some things like, okay, what do I do? Well, love God and love neighbor. Yeah. Okay. I mean, how, how many times do we have to study that? You know, cause part of what we do, one of our, one of the lenses we have to overcome is that we think we have to know in order to obey. And, um, for them, obeying was knowing. Like, like, like when it says Adam knew his wife, like that was sexually, relationally. Like, that's the kind of relational sort of covenant that God's interested in. And so, if you really want to know whether or not some of this is true, just walk in the steps of the Sermon on the Mount and see. Totally, man. So the example that I gave this last weekend was when, when you were preaching. Yeah, and talking about the Great Commission, and I did like a little grammar lesson on Whoa. which verbs are highlighted and which aren't. But it's interesting that that's the last verse of that book, right? And mm -hmm. then the end of it, like as Jesus tells them what it means to make disciples, he says, teach them everything that I've taught you. So the natural inclination is to go back to the beginning of Matthew to read everything that Jesus taught them. And so it's like the Great Commission is not a go and do something. It's a culmination of everything that Jesus was doing. And so it's exactly what you're saying. Like the natural to understand what that means is to go back and do it again. Right. And that's kind of like AJ or yes. when she was talking about like yes. the different ways that the Old Testament is, is put together. That the, one of those versions is to start it again. But I like yep. even when we got to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, like well, how did that end? Right. And no, go, like, no, yeah. And, it, yeah. And, and at the same time, it was also like, let me just sum it up for you. Yeah. Love your neighbor. And it's like, oh, cool. Yes, that's great. I understand love your neighbor. How exactly do I do that? I'll go back to the beginning of this talk yep. and, and sit in it again and listen. But it, this is the gist, but that's just the title or the heading. Now go back and learn the content of it. Yeah. And that's, 
I mean, this is so obviously a Christian pastor thing to say that I almost don't want to say it. I like it already. Um, (laughs) But like the vast majority of us don't read the Bible at all. Yeah. Uh, Let alone in chunks and with patience. Yeah. So it's kind of like, eh. Um, now, now, for some of us, the reason is that the parts we've read are so confusing, we'll never read it again. Or totally. we've been hurt, hurt by it. Yep. Um, and so it's a scary thing. Or it's just this uh, you know, mysterious gobbledygook. Um, so there are all kinds of reasons why we don't. But there is a portion of folks who have all sorts of questions about the Bible who just don't ever take the time to read it yeah and um and you know so one of the things that that is true of the way the text works is that the text works when you walk it it becomes and this is this is carl bart um this the text is self-authenticating um if you think you don't know about the teachings of jesus live them and then live without them and see which way is better yeah and then wouldn't you know it at the last moment from the east on the third day while all hope was lost gandalf the gray seth thomas charles eerie makes his way down the stairs how did he know ascends to his father's left hand and then sethy hi hi dad well, do you want to say hi? Did you want to? Did you want us to talk about you today? Yes. Yes. So Seth, Seth and I were on our way to breakfast, and Seth said, "Daddy, voxology talk me," <laughs> and uh, which means we're going to talk. Not only will Seth talk on voxology, but we're going to talk about Seth. That's right. On voxology. That's the force of those three words. Correct. Yes. All right. So, do you want to say anything, son? Yeah. Okay. What do you want to say? Uh, hey, guys. Welcome. Hi, guys. Welcome. Fox, I was the podcast graduation. Congratulations, Voxology Podcast. Yes. <laughs> so I'm Seth. Seth. And how old are you? I'm nine. You are not nine. How old are you, silly? I've, I'm my, my birthday. When is your birthday? Um, five. It is not five. <laughs> it is December what? December <laughs> 10. No, it is not December 10. It is December 2 6. December 2 6. Yes. And how is Mr. Tim Stafford looking today? Thanks. He looks like his face. Yes, he does. Absolutely. He's very handsome. Is there anything? Yeah, he has a beard, huh? Yeah. I know. Anything you want to say today? Um, yes. Okay, well, go. This is your time, Sethy. One, two, three, go. Okay, perfect. What do you want to tell him? Um, seven, please. What? Drum roll. No, 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 on screen. On screen? Yes. What's that? Hit the music. <laughs> Boom. Well done. I need to, <laughs> Ladies I need and gentlemen. To make, uh, I need to make Seth his own little theme song for when he comes and says, hit the music. Seven, please. Uh, Seth. Oh, totally. Yes, we do. All right, Sethy, that was great. He got hotcakes. He's got hotcakes, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Usually he'll come down, and at the top of the steps, he'll start yelling at me. Daddy, daddy. 
It's hot cakes time. That's how that normally goes. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. So thanks for tuning in. You guys are amazing. Hope this is helpful. We'll get to paragraph number two next episode. And please let whoever wrote that on Facebook, let them know. I will. They provoked a really fun conversation for us. So thank you all so very much. Uh, If you want to email us, we're at uh, hello. What's our new email address? It's the same as it ever was. Hello at voxpodcast.com? Nice. We haven't redone our emails yet. Why would we? I don't know. I don't think we need right. to. <laughs> yeah. Hello at voxpodcast.com. Um, until then, friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and in these days give you peace. Hey See yo. you, friends. Hey, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on instagram at voxology thank you thank you thank you for walking the long road with us